Hey guys, welcome to week three of the course, and it of course is day 31 on the self-quarantine count. That's one month of self-quarantine. Took a drive with the family yesterday. The four of us left the house all at once together, just stayed in the car. Uh, it was a little strange, for sure. Uh, I hope that the coronavirus lockdown is a time when you guys can stop and take stock and slow down your pace and really be able to kind of see what things are all about. Uh, I will talk a little bit about social distancing today uh, and actually the opposite of social distancing, which is social connection. Uh, it's a big part of this particular uh, topic, which is activist energy and grassroots organizing. This is the part of the course where what we're going to be doing is now we've, we've, we've gotten the full view, right? What a campaign is and then the sort of the view from the top, the campaign manager's tasks and uh, skills and, and how all that works. And now we're going to move through all of the different things that a campaign has to do functionally and see, again, from double perspective in this class. One, from the political science perspective, like, okay, what are the factors that lead to success and how can uh, campaigns, uh, how do campaigns uh, take advantage of those factors and uh, what are the things that actually push them to do well with these and to do poorly with these. And then, of course, from the practitioner's point of view, what can you do to uh, be successful at getting the most votes, right? Whether it's for a candidate and you need the most votes or it's a ballot measure and you need 50% uh, yeses or if you're on the no side, you need 50% of the no's. How do you get across the finish line successfully? Uh, this is a really important topic and it's of course a very interesting time for this topic because as I said, uh, so with social distancing, a lot of the traditional techniques of grassroots organizing and activating activist energy are unavailable and they're unavailable for the time being uh, and what is going to be really interesting and it's, you know, it's impossible to say how this is going to play out in a year from now in you know, April of 2021. What are campaigns going to look like and how uh, is the pandemic going to affect our culture in ways that are going to actually transform campaigns? Campaigns right now in April of 2020 are struggling to deal with the reality of the fact that you just can't go knock doors, you can't have events, you can't have fundraisers, um, you can't uh, rely on uh, neighbors and friends and coworkers and students uh, and uh, community members just talking to each other about uh, the candidates and the ballot measures that they're interested in promoting. So what's left? And we will talk about that. But today we're going to, woo, you know, here's the, the fuzzy screen. We're going to go back to a past, not so long ago in the past, when uh, this kind of personal campaigning, face-to-face -face, uh, activities were not only available, they were kind of the bedrock. Um, <clears throat> and knowing that we don't know what the future is going to look like, but this is all that I can talk about today, uh, is uh, how it is that grassroots organizing plays out in campaigns. Now. Um, I put all the notes on the board. Uh, I'm not going to add to this. I do have a piece of chalk here in case I have to add anything, but I really don't want to messy this up too much. I just want to move through and talk about this. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is campaign resources. And uh, then we're going to uh, zoom in and expand on one of those particular campaign resources, which is energy, and we're going to talk about growing your energy. And that's, that's what grassroots activism is all about. Grassroots activism is all about, or excuse me, grassroots organizing, grassroots activism, I'll probably use these terms interchangeably, but grassroots activity is all about growing and taking advantage of the energy that's available to you out in the world. I wanna look at the three basic campaign resources though, one of which is energy, uh, and just discuss uh, them briefly. 
uh, <clears throat> and then focus in on this. So money. Obviously money is an extremely important feature of uh, any campaign and no campaign can live without money. Uh, but you can live with way less money uh, than maybe you think. And one of the things about different campaigns is that there's really, in terms of money, there's really a sliding scale. And the sliding scale is that the bigger your constituency, the bigger the voter base you have to reach, the, the higher up the office is, the more you're going to have to rely on money and the more you're going to need money. So when you're running for president of the United States, when you're running for governor of uh, even a small state, when you're running for Senate, when you're running for the House of Representatives, when you're running for uh, you know, city council or mayor in a, in a big city, uh, you're going to need money, absolutely. Um, to uh, one of our interviews later this term, guest lecture interviews is with Tom Hughes, who was both the mayor of Hillsborough, where he mostly just, he himself personally knocked on doors in order to get elected. Uh, and then he later ran for Metro Council president, uh, and the Metro Council uh, has as its territory both Portland and the Portland, the, the outlying metro area. Um, he, in order to run for that office and succeed, he had to raise and spend, mostly on television ads, a million dollars. So there's a huge difference. He needed money. When he was running for mayor of Hillsborough, he needed money to be able to print lawn signs and flyers uh, and to be able to like have uh, just the basic physical resources that are necessary for running even the, the smallest campaign. But he actually ran not at the two ends of the scale, mayor of Hillsborough, president of the United States, but uh, his, his Metro Council race was actually, uh, you know, he, he had to campaign to more people than some U.S. senators do. Um, Bernie Sanders had an easier time to get in the Senate in terms of reaching people than Tom Hughes to be the Metro, uh, count, uh, Metro Council president because there were fewer people in the entire state of Vermont than in the Metro region. But money gets more important the higher up you get. Uh, I think that for a lot of you who are thinking about going into campaigns, you're going to be starting and maybe even spending most, if not your entire career in campaign, at the lower end, right? And the lower end isn't, doesn't necessarily mean those races are supremely unimportant, right? The lower end includes uh, state legislative races. Uh, there are 90 state legislators in the state of Oregon, 60 members of the House, 30 members of the Senate. Those races can all be won with not a tremendous amount of money. And in fact, if, uh, if you want to run for Portland City Council, you actually have to reach 10 times as many voters. Uh, if you want to uh, run for Metro Council President, you have to run, you have to reach uh, almost 100 times uh, as many voters, more like 50 times as many voters. So state legislative races are obviously very important and the state legislature does a lot of really, really important things uh, that affect people's lives directly. So those positions are very important, they're quite powerful, yet they occur lower down on the scale of campaign uh, resources, or at least on the, on, the, on the money scale. Now, what does money buy and what does it not buy? Um, so I have my clipboard here. I'm just going to show you. This is where I have the expanded version of this. Uh, I should probably just take a picture of this and put it on the notes uh, that are available for today's class, and I think I probably will. Um, so what it does buy, money buys professional strategy and information. And I talked about that in the campaign overview, and that is always going to be important. The, the ability to pay a campaign consultant, to pay for some polling or at least focus groups, right? You don't always need polling, but focus groups are definitely very important for helping to figure out what your message is going to be. So uh, money can buy, and I think, I think personally that the most useful uh, um, expenditure of money is uh, paid professionals. 
So it can buy that. It can also buy employees, right? It can buy people who are paid to run your campaign staff. It could be a campaign manager who is, of course, a paid professional. But it can, it can get you people who are, you know, a deputy campaign manager. It can get you people who can uh, have their 9 to 5 job, though it's mostly a, like, 9 to midnight kind of job uh, for most people, as you probably have heard already from Rebecca, and you're going to hear in the guest lectures for this week, and you'll hear in, in the future as well. Um, but it can buy you employees who can basically, they don't have to fit their campaign activities into the rest of their lives, their work life. They just have to find some life-work balance, but they're being paid to do so. Um, it can also get you physical resources. Uh, campaign offices, but other physical resources like uh, computers and extra cell phones, uh, lawn signs, t-shirts, buttons, uh, mailers, those kinds of things. Um, and then the final thing, and the thing that is definitely an important use of money, but becomes more use necessary as you move up that sliding scale towards the larger and larger offices, is paid media. <clears throat> and this is the thing that, of course, most people focus on money in politics, money equals uh, airtime, and airtime is crucial. Well, it's crucial in the most visible parts of our political system. Presidential elections, congressional elections, gubernatorial elections, um, big uh, city uh, elections, big statewide ballot measures. Clearly money is important in all of these areas. Um, and uh, the thing is too, of course, is that, and this is, this is borne out by tons and tons of research, getting and spending more money doesn't equate automatically with success. Uh, there's a certain extent to which if you don't raise a certain amount of money, you're severely handicapped. But once you've got enough money to, to get sort of as much of the, the, the paid advertising uh, as possible, then uh, it's really at that point you're kind of, it's a diminishing marginal return and it's not necessarily the only thing that's going to uh, lead to your success. Um, even at the high end, even at the high level, you can't live on money alone. Uh, and we have a recent example of an, what I consider to be an experiment in the proposition that you could spend your way into electoral success at the high level, and that's Michael Bloomberg. Right? Bloomberg, uh, he skipped uh, the Iowa-New Hampshire uh, um, caucus and primaries, which is not a terrible choice because there just aren't that many delegates there. Um, the, the reason why, you, why presidential candidates pay attention to those states is because that's what gets them a lot of free media. He focused instead on entering the race on Super Tuesday, in, where there were a lot of delegates available, and he spent a lot of money saturating the airwaves in those states. And it wasn't explicitly stated, but kind of the underlying proposition was that you could use money to buy airtime to uh, convince voters. Bloomberg had a little bit of energy, and well, I'll talk about time, but he had some activist energy, he had some on-the-ground organization, but not much. And uh, the, the proposition was you can live frugally, <coughs> excuse me, there's my adolescent voice cracking, you can live frugally on uh, organization and energy if you have essentially unlimited campaign funds and you just have a really good strategy. And his ads were slick and uh, they were extremely well put together. His paid professionals were the best and his airtime was, you know, he just, he just outspent everybody. His inability to make an impact, even though he got a lot of mention, there was a lot of talk, there was a lot of speculation, it just didn't prove to work out. So you cannot live on money alone, you cannot live on airtime alone. It is necessary uh, for higher offices, it becomes less and less necessary. You can win a state legislative race, you can even win a city council race without once putting on a television ad. Now, for a city council race, it becomes a little more challenging because we're talking about, in Portland at least, 
650,000 people. Um, but it's important to know that money doesn't, what, what it does buy is useful. And the paid professionals and the physical resources are really useful, especially at the lower end. If you actually, if you're running a state legislative campaign and you can raise enough money to hire like a top quality campaign manager and a top quality pollster, uh, and you spend money on almost nothing else, right? You run the campaign out of your garage and you rely almost entirely on volunteers for the rest of your organization. That's a pretty decent expenditure of money. So I don't want to say money doesn't buy anything, but uh, what it doesn't buy is it doesn't buy excitement and energy. Um, it doesn't buy organization and efficiency. Now, it can buy you people who are more likely to be organized and efficient. So there is a connection between the paid professionals and the employees that you can hire uh, and keep on and have focused 100% of their work life on your campaign instead of scattered around if you have money. But organization and efficiency can come for free. Um, you can buy a tiny bit of that uh, by with, with certain kinds of good people. But even there, you can't, unless you have enough money to have an entirely paid uh, staff, you can't ensure that you're going to have organization and efficiency. You have to, you have to get that other ways. Uh, and it can't buy votes and it can't buy volunteers. Those, that, that's key. You, you cannot buy votes. You can buy airtime, and you can buy good strategy that messages to persuadable voters, but you still have to have a message. You still have to have all the other elements that are going to come together to be able to turn those financial resources into votes. Money just doesn't buy votes straight away. And it definitely doesn't buy volunteers. Right? Um, Michael Bloomberg had volunteers, right? but uh, not a lot, and he certainly didn't have anything like what the other campaigns. On the other end of things, you know, there's the uh, Bernie Sanders campaign, which while well, he had raised money, and he raised a lot of money <clears throat> from small dollar donations, which of course is just, the money's the money, right? If you can raise $100 million, whether it's from five rich people or from uh, a ton of people giving, giving $20, uh, it's the same amount of money. But when you raise small dollar donations, what you're doing is you're tapping into that activist energy and you actually are uh, getting, you're gonna have a lot of volunteers. Somebody might give you $50 and volunteer five hours a week uh, for your campaign. The $50, is, it's not nothing, right? But compared to the five hours a week uh, that that person gives you, um, it is uh, invaluable, right? Because campaign workers, they, while you, know, while you could probably hire somebody for $10 an hour and get five hours out of $50, you're, you're not going to get the same thing. It's, I won't say that volunteer <coughs> labor hours are priceless, but they are really much more valuable even than the sort of the market value that that person could sell their labor for uh, on the market. Let's, you know, let's say somebody makes $35 an hour in their regular job, and when they volunteer for you, if they really believe in you and your campaign, either the candidate or the ballot measure, you're going to get way more than $35 an hour's worth of value out of them. So, that's what money can and can't buy. Uh, I, I will never say that money is not an important factor in campaigns, but I do find myself spending a ton of time downplaying the importance of money because uh, I think in our uh, public perception and in sort of our dominant culture, we believe that money is really, especially in politics, even in broader life, money is such an important factor. And yes, it is a factor. It's just not the key. Uh, energy which I will expand on today, so I'll just touch on it pretty quickly here. Energy is key in all races, but especially in down-ballot races. The farther down you get, the farther along, lower end of that sliding scale spectrum that I, that I talked about just a minute ago, the more important energy is. And in fact, 
it's not only more important, it's the key to victory, right? If you have, let's say you're running for a state legislative race, and uh, you maybe you somehow have $250,000 to spend on this state legislative race, which is way more money than you actually need. Let's say you have all that money, um, the, and you can hire paid professionals to do good focus groups, and you can put up ads, but that's not the primary way that people make their decisions about down-ballot races. Uh, you can do one thing with money uh, in down-ballot races that's hard, that, that's hard to do, and that's, that's the big slog, and that's get name recognition and get people to realize, oh, there is actually, there's the, the, here, maybe even, even on the back page of the ballot, there are some bubbles to fill out. Um, but uh, that's a you know, bizarre scenario. No, no state legislative candidate's gonna have a quarter of a million dollars to spend on ads. And uh, if they do, they're probably best off donating a lot of that money to their uh, fellow party members in other districts to uh, spread it around. And uh, that kind of leadership pack money, if you actually can spread it around, is gonna, gonna benefit you later on uh, in your political career as you wanna get into a leadership position. That's a totally different class. Uh, but it's really key, energy is super key in, in down ballot races. Uh, <clears throat> the types of energy, there are, uh, I am definitely not a, uh, a chemistry or physics professor, but I know some things about energy. Uh, there are more forms of energy than these three. <laughs> there's electrical energy and there's heat, and, the, and honestly, I really don't know all the forms of energy. Uh, but uh, these three forms of energy are metaphorically connected to the type of energy that you need in a campaign. Potential energy is energy that is out there waiting to happen, right? In, in, in physics terms, if you have a boulder on the top of a cliff, that boulder contains a lot of potential energy because if you can push it off the cliff, it falls, and that falling turns into kinetic energy, it also turns into heat energy, um, and uh, th there's a lot of potential there. So the metaphor here is that there are boulders out there that are waiting to be pushed over and turned from potential energy into kinetic energy. And kinetic energy is movement. And this is the type of energy where the metaphor actually is tightest, right? Because in a campaign, when we're talking about what it takes to win, um, people moving around is one of the key things that's going to get you uh, victories. Uh, people knocking on doors, people holding events, people talking to other people, um, uh, people uh, going to uh, opinion shapers like editorial board meetings and bloggers. Uh, that's, in some cases, it's virtual kinetic energy. It's reaching out with an email or it's making a phone call, but in other cases, it's actual physical energy where you go and meet with people. And uh, as a lot of people that I've been talking to in this coronavirus time are telling me, it's a real handicap not to be able to actually use all of that people energy that, uh, is, uh, that, is that, that, that is out there and potential, and that filling that with other means that maintain social distancing is inferior. Um, just one, one example, and Peter Toll talks about this in his, uh, his guest lecture for week five when, when I, we, we talk more about this kind of strategy, um, is that imagine, so you have a slate card uh, that lists all the Democratic candidates and their names and the races they're running for. And that's really just about generating awareness for down-ballot races. Like, oh, okay, there's actually somebody running for judge, and there's somebody running for, uh, you know, a port commissioner. I didn't even know that. And, oh, I, you know, here they are. There are their names. This is who the Democratic Party uh, wants to win this race. 
this is who uh, I, I, you know, I generally align with the Democratic Party. If somebody comes to your door and hands you this uh, card, you're going to look at it. And maybe you're going to, as soon as the door is closed, maybe you're going to toss it in the recycling bin. But because there was a human contact there, uh, and because you then also saw the uh, excitement and energy or even just the humanity of that person who looked in your eyes and handed you that piece of paper, um, it's going to have a greater impact than if that same exact flyer came in your mailbox. And uh, when it comes in your mailbox, it's, you know, it, it, it's there with the Papa John's flyers, it's there with the junk mail, the people who want to clean your roof and do, do landscaping uh, and uh, who want to give you extra credit cards that you can't afford. It's in there with all that other stuff. And so it, it, it is treated with the same status. Uh, so just one example of how kinetic energy, a person walking from door to door, handing out a flyer, can have a really big psychological impact compared to that exact same piece of information, that exact same direct mailer that is, comes in the mailbox. Not to mention that when we talk about money, that person who's walking around handing out those flyers is almost certainly working for free. Right? You might actually have the ability to pay some canvassers, um, but that person's almost certainly working for free. When you send something through the mail, it costs money. Now, you need the money to print up the flyers in the first place. So, so again, that's what money can buy. That's one of those physical resources that, that money can buy. It's necessary to have hundreds of dollars at minimum to run a basic campaign just so you can actually print stuff up. Uh, you don't need fancy t-shirts, you don't need buttons, but you do need at least flyers and lawn signs. Um, and then the people who are going to, uh, uh, who are going to do that. Again, a lawn sign is another good example of uh, a kind of kinetic energy where somebody, in this case, literally goes out on their lawn and puts the sign in. Uh, if your neighbors see that sign, they're like, oh, okay, there's, you know, it's, it's, it's more than just a name, it's an acknowledgement that somebody who is in my community uh, and maybe uh, somebody who I actually talked to uh, on the street and uh, now from six or more feet away, but you talk to them and you're like, oh, I, I actually respect that person's opinion. Oh, they're voting for this candidate. And they're supporting this. They're doing more than voting. They're supporting this candidate. Uh, so yeah, that, that, when it comes time to flipping over your ballot and seeing that person's name, you, you're much more likely to, to, to do that. Again, compared to just getting something in the mail from uh, an anonymous uh, source. So that's kinetic energy. Chemical energy uh, is, uh, this is where, this is the most metaphorical of all in terms of my usage of it. Chemical energy is about chemistry. It's, it's about excitement. It's about making that connection. Um, and again, consider the difference between somebody coming to the door, utilizing kinetic energy to bring you this slate card, or this flyer, this piece of direct mail for a specific candidate that had their name and their face, and on the flip side it had the bullet points of their issues, uh, uh, that is going to get to you much more successfully than if it's just a piece of paper in the mail with the uh, Bank of America credit card offer and the Papa John's flyer and all the other junk mail that, that arrives. Imagine if the person who comes to your door really sort of vibrates uh, metaphorically, uh, not literally with excitement and energy. They really, they really believe in it. You can sense you're gonna, you're gonna make a stronger human connection, right? If somebody comes to your door and says, "Hi, my name's Jack, and I'm supporting uh, X candidate," here's their flyer, and you're like, "Oh, hey, thanks," and and they then walk away, uh, you are going to be much, much more likely to just look at it, flip it over, and then put it in the recycling bin. If that person really looks 
like they have uh, dedication, like they really believe they're going knocking door to door, you're sure this person's a volunteer. The other person, you're like, well, they're probably a volunteer, but maybe they were paid. You don't know from, from, the, from your side of the door. When you see somebody who's vibrating with excitement, who's clearly dedicated, who's clearly excited about this candidate, who's actually willing to talk to you about that candidate if you want, right? Um, then, uh, and who has the sort of interpersonal diplomatic skills to be able to tell whether you want to continue talking or to leave you alone. When you have that chemistry between the person knocking on your door and you, or when you're at a, a, a rally or a mixer or some kind of candidate forum where the candidates are, are uh, gonna speak, but before they come and speak, their volunteers are circulating in the crowd, talking to people, passing out literature, or just they have the button and they're saying, hey, I wanna talk to you about candidate X. The more chemical connection there is there, uh, the more chemistry, the more likely you are to actually yourself get excited. Uh, chemical energy can be, in the physical world, it can't be transferred because all energy is either transferred or uh, yeah, it's transferred from one form of energy to another. In politics, you can actually amplify that. So unexcited person can make other people excited. <clears throat> so those are the three types of energy that get activated in a campaign. And I'll talk about how they kind of map onto the things that you need. Let me move on now to time because time is an interesting uh, resource. It's a resource and it's also a factor. Um, it's a, it's a factor in the sense that time is limited, uh, and it's also expandable. But let me first talk about why it's limited. One, the calendar is fixed. The number of days between where you start your campaign and election day is fixed, right? It's that many days times 24 hours. That's what the calendar is. Um, and also, the uh, principles of the campaign, their time is fixed, right? So if you have a candidate <clears throat> and a campaign manager, uh, each of those people has 24 hours a day minus whatever day, amount of time they need to, to ensure that they can actually have a sustainable life, that they don't collapse, they don't freak out, they don't make huge mistakes. So call it 18, 16 to 18 hours a day times however many days. Those are all fixed, and time as a factor is something that you have to use well. This is where efficiency, which is one of the things that you need to grow your energy, but this is where efficiency comes in. Uh, when the candidate or the campaign manager wastes their time doing things that don't win them more votes or that don't win them endorsements or that don't raise them money or that don't get them more volunteers or don't effectively uh, get their messaging out there, uh, you don't get that time back. Uh, when, uh, uh, when you work your candidate too hard and they need to take two days off uh, because it just, they've just gotten burned out and there's just no way they can do anything, you've just lost two days uh, of face-to-face of, of -face contact, uh, of campaign time, of uh, making phone calls to, to potential donors, of talking on the phone or talking in an office with potential uh, endorsers, opinion leaders. So time is, a, is, in the sense that time is limited, it's a, uh, it's, it's a factor that has to be dealt with. And this is where energy actually comes in. And the, the, given that the calendar is fixed and that your principal's time is fixed and your campaign manager's time is fixed, um, the making more efficient use of the available time is going to maximize uh, that particular resource. Time is expandable in 
a couple of senses. One, it's expandable in the sense that you can make more efficient use of it, though there's still a, a, a boundary there, right? It's not infinitely expandable. It's not even that super expandable. If you're operating at the highest level of efficiency possible, you still then, the calendar, the, the actual 24-hour day is the boundary, and you're going to run up against that. Many campaigns are quite efficient, and that, at that point, time's not expandable. The way in which time is expandable the most, and the most important, is through labor hours. There are only 24 hours in a day, but for every person you add to the campaign, you add 24 hours. Uh, so the calendar is fixed, the candidate's time is finite, the campaign manager's time is finite, uh, and of course, it's the campaign's time is not infinite, but it's way less finite. If you have, if you start your campaign with a candidate and a campaign manager and uh, two really dedicated volunteers, you have four people, you have 96 hours a day minus whatever time is needed for those people to have uh, a, a sustainable, uh, act, uh, a sustainable uh, work life um, and, and human life. If you rope in 10 new volunteers, each of whom gives five hours a week, that's 50 hours. You've just, you've added a couple of people. Uh, you've added more time. Um, so obviously, the more people you add, the more uh, volunteers, and of course also, the more employees you uh, have, the more you can expand your time. Now, that's where there's a connection between money and time. Money can't buy votes. <laughs> Um, it can't buy love, though it can definitely buy something that is a proxy for love in a, lot of in a lot of people's cases. If they're emotionally stunted, they can buy something that feels to them like love, but ultimately it's not. That's a digression. But money can buy time um, because you can purchase employees with more money. Now, one of the things is, though, that's an interesting trade-off in a campaign. And I indicated this last time because to raise money requires time and uh, energy and uh, um, effort. So as you raise money and you spend that money buying labor hours to expand your amount of time, you've had to give up a certain amount of time in order to buy that time. And uh, there's a point at which you're actually, you could be spending more time raising money that buys you extra time and you actually are going backwards instead of forwards. Um, so there's a potential trade-off there. But also the other trade-off is that when you're spending some time raising money, you want to be able to use that money to buy the other things that money can buy. You don't necessarily want to spend that money on time buying labor hours. So, uh, you know, for a larger campaign, you definitely need more than just the campaign manager and one or two other paid uh, people. Uh, as you move uh, higher and higher, you scale up and you need more people. Um, to, uh, to be actual professionals and uh, on your campaign. So you do, to a certain extent, you have to spend money to buy time. But further down ballot, the more money you expend to buying labor hours, the less you can spend that money on other things. Um, the less you can spend that money on direct mail, uh, um, uh, mail, even though that's less effective than people knocking doors. You can't necessarily knock every door, so you want to get those flyers out there. You have to be able to print stuff up for people who are going to take to your doors. You want more lawn signs. Uh, you want the ability to uh, you know, generate whatever kind of other resources. You, you want to be able to pay pollsters to do good focus groups for you. That's a, in, in, in a lot of the down ballot races, strategy is a more valuable use of money than airtime is, in fact, because you want to have good messaging to take to those doors that you're sending your volunteers to. Um, so you can use money to buy more time, but the best way 
to get more time is to get more volunteers. Uh, and that is not infinitely expandable in the, in the technical sense of infinite, with, which means with no limits. There's obviously a limit to this. Um, but uh, uh, you, you can drastically increase the amount of time available to your campaign to do all of the important campaign tasks. The more labor hours you draw in, the more people, and the more people, the more dedicated they are, the more likely they're going to give more time. Right? If you have 10 volunteers each giving five hours a week, that's 50 hours, right? If you have uh, 10 volunteers each giving eight hours a week, that's 80 hours, that's 30 extra hours. So by just incentivizing and inspiring, this is where the chemical energy comes in, by inspiring somebody to give more than five hours, to give eight hours, you've expanded the available amount of time. Time is, time is definitely an important resource because uh, in a campaign, there's so much to be done, particularly surrounding uh, like messaging and consistency and quality, right? If you're going to be putting out written materials, they can't be full of typos. They can't be inconsistent with each other. You can't have one flyer going out uh, that's, that, that emphasizes one thing and another flyer going out that emphasizes another thing unless you've determined that those flyers are going to different people, different groups that need different messaging. But you still, what you want is your messaging doesn't have to be internally consistent with each other. They have to be consistent with the overall strategy. Uh, the more time you have to put that stuff together well, to proof it, to make sure that it runs past a number of different eyes, that people with different perspectives see that uh, messaging before it goes out into the world, the more effective you're going to be at uh, communicating and either turning out people who are on your side or persuading people who uh, are on the other side. So time is, is extremely valuable. Um, campaigns can fail and die because of a deficit of time, right? If, there's a, if, if you're a candidate and you have a campaign manager and two or three uh, paid employees and maybe a small handful of volunteers, you're running for a, you know, an open state legislative seat uh, where you actually have a, a you know a, a hard challenge, a, a realistic challenger, you're gonna you're gonna face a lot of tough decisions. You're gonna face a time deficit that's gonna hurt your campaign. Um, the uh, you know so you have to go to a candidate forum, and that candidate needs to be prepped for the candidate forum, or you have to go to an editorial office to do an endorsement uh, interview. And the candidate needs to be prepped uh, for that. Or, you know, if you're really super lucky, uh, a television station calls you up and says, hey, we want to interview you on the nightly news uh, tonight about this particular story. That's free media, right? The candidate needs to be prepared for that, right? If you go on tele, if you get invited to go on the local news and uh, you are ill-prepared and you look foolish or you don't say the things that your campaign is trying to say, then that's gonna hurt you more than it's gonna help you. That's gonna be free media that actually moves you backwards instead of forwards. In order to be able to prepare you for that appearance, any of these particular appearances, um, the candidate's time is limited, right? So you're gonna have to take the candidate off of one task and onto, an, uh, onto that one. Say the candidate needs two hours of preparation to do a seven minute uh, TV uh, um, interview. And that, I would say that that's probably the bare minimum uh, for preparation for uh, a local news uh, appearance. It's super crucial that you do really, really well. That's why you want at least a couple of hours. So the candidate, that two hours is two hours the candidate can't be doing something else. If you have a very skeletal staff of paid employees and volunteers, 
getting ready for that two hours is going to cost your organization other things that it could be doing. If you have lots of people, then you can put lots of different, you can put lots of people on that task, or you can pull, say, two really key people off that task and give the things they need to be doing that afternoon to other, uh, other people who have a similar skill set, then you're going to have a much more effective candidate presentation. You're going to have a much more effective two-hour prep time. And not only is it going to be effective, it's not going to set you back in other areas, right? If I'm the, basically, I'm the speechwriter, and I'm also kind of the lead message person, and I'm the one who has to, to you know, we get a phone call that morning from the local news station that they're going to put our candidate on the air and interviewing them about something that's going on, right? Like, oh, you know, you, you, you have an important part of your uh, platform is about environmental concerns in the expansion of city parks or something. Great, excellent, and you've been talking about that. They want to put you on the news. Fantastic. Uh, they're probably going to put. You know, they have to put the other candidates on the news as well. You want to be as good as possible. So we take our speechwriter and put them on the task of prepping. Well, before you can spend that two hours with the candidate, you're going to have to spend two hours yourself getting ready to prep the candidate. What can the speechwriter not do during that four hours? All the other things that speechwriter is doing, writing the next good stump speech, uh, paying attention to the communications that are, uh, that are going out to uh, other forms of press. Obviously, t in this case, a deficit of time is going to be really problematic for this campaign, especially because these kinds of opportunities don't come, up, come along all the time. You have to take advantage of it, but what falls off the table when you slide that new plate on the table? Uh, using the table metaphor, the more labor hours you have, the bigger the table gets and the more things that you can put on the table without other things sliding off of it. Okay, I think I've probably made that point sufficiently clearly, uh, but it is, uh, to me, important enough to be repetitive to drive home exactly how important this is. So, how do you expand your time? Well, you expand your time with more volunteers and mostly, uh, you can, as I say, buy employees. How do you get more volunteers? It all comes back to energy, right? How do you get more energy? This is the most important part of a campaign. Now, especially if we're talking about uh, a ballot measure campaign, a local or statewide ballot measure, if, especially if it's a local ballot measure where you're really not gonna have a lot of money, you're not gonna raise a ton of money and you're not gonna do a lot of uh, uh, major paid media. For a statewide ballot measure, you're gonna definitely need a decent chunk of money to do uh, 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 um, paid media messaging, absolutely. But even in both, <clears throat> a ballot measure campaign, like you, you need a lot of energy. For a candidate campaign, you, it's less necessary, but you need uh, more energy. How do you do it? That's what grassroots organizing is. And in fact, the techniques of grassroots organizing apply to all kinds of uh, areas of politics. Um, if you're an advocate, if you're a lobbyist, uh, if, you are, if, you're, if you're working uh, with people who are a vulnerable community or you're working with people who want some kind of change, uh, the, you're going to do grassroots organizing to be able to do your advocacy much more effectively. So uh, grassroots organizing works both in the campaign side of things and in the governing side of things where when you're advocating for policies, the more energy you have, the more uh, um, uh, you're going to be able to be successful. If you can get 50,000 people to march on Salem, to, you're going to raise, for, for a particular cause, you're going to raise a lot more awareness among the uh, legislators who are in session right at that point, considering uh, policies that you want them to push forward, than if you have 100 people with handwritten signs, right? So uh, 
Obviously, in advocacy, this is really important. This is not a class about advocacy, but a lot of the lessons that uh, can be uh, applied to advocacy can be applied to campaigns and vice versa. In fact, one of the guest lecturers this week, uh, Candlin Johnson, who is right now working on a statewide ballot measure campaign as the deputy campaign manager, she, her background is in grassroots organizing and advocacy. So she learned a lot of lessons She's on her first big campaign. She's, she's done other campaigns, but she's on her first big campaign. But all of the lessons she learned as an advocate uh, are coming into play on this ballot measure campaign. So grassroots is both campaign and advocacy. What do you need to grow your energy? Well, this, I would say this is sort of in order of uh, maybe chronological order. The first thing you need is you need dedication. You actually need a core group of people who are dedicated to the cause, which would be a ballot measure in, in terms of campaign, right? If it's advocacy, it's the, it's the policy cause, or the candidate, right? Um, hopefully that you have the candidate themselves, right? That the person running is super excited and super dedicated. Um, that the reason why they're doing this very hard thing that can be exhausting, it can be exposing, uh, it, can, it, can, it can put tension on uh, um, family relationships and other relationships, it can actually affect the, whatever job that person has that's outside, you better hope that the candidate themselves is dedicated to winning this election. And the, why would they be dedicated to winning this election? You know, I mean, if it's at the high end, you could say, well, it's for power and it's for, it's, it's, it's for exposure and all celebrity. And that's definitely true. People run for president, governor, senate for those reasons. But anywhere lower down on the ballot, uh, and even at the top end of the ballot, the reason why people are running is because they believe that they have solutions to problems that are really important, that they want to help their communities, and they're really dedicated to it. So uh, the candidate is going to be dedicated. If the more your core group, the people you start with, are dedicated, the more chemical energy you're going to have. And in fact, the more potential energy is already going to be turned in to uh, kinetic energy, right? People are excited. Uh, my next door neighbor, right over in that direction, um, he wants to run for city council at some point, right? He's, he's a relatively young guy and he sees, he's, he, he's a firefighter right now, but he sees a, he sees a political future. He, he really, he has, there are things, there are issues that he thinks aren't being adequately dealt with that could be dealt with. He's really dedicated. He talks to me about it. You know, now we talk at a social distance, but we used to, you know, talk in a much more friendly way. We had cocktails on my front porch all night. He talked to me and, uh, it's hard to get me excited, actually, about things I'm not already excited in. Uh, and his, his chemical energy was, I was like, oh yeah, I could see myself doing something for this guy's race. And you know, for me, anybody who knows me and knows that I kind of do keep politics at an arm's distance uh, should know that that's actually a pretty big thing. Dedication to the cause, to the candidate. And when you're dedicated to the candidate, you're probably going to be dedicated to their particular issues. Uh, now, you can, this can be generated more, like, you know, you, you don't need to start a campaign as a candidate until you actually have a core group of people who are really excited about you. Um, and that would actually be really beneficial. So starting off by having a dedicated group of people uh, is going to be, or it's going to make all the other steps that much easier. If you're starting off with one super dedicated person, you can do all these things. And of course, it will, it, it will build on itself. There is potential energy out there to be activated into kinetic energy, but it's just going to be a, a, a taller hill to climb. Now, you also need leadership. 
Um, the people who are part of your initial team have to have certain kinds of skills, right? And the two main skills these people have to have is they have to be organized and they have to be inspiring. Um, that's what I mean by leadership uh, in, in this particular context. They have to be able to uh, inspire people to add themselves to that cadre of, of, of those who are dedicated, and they have to be able to be efficient enough to make really good use of those people. Inspiring a bunch of people to carry signs and wave flags and march, that's really great, but if you don't actually uh, make the most efficient use of that, you're, you've only got one half of what I consider to be that kind of leadership uh, quality. You have, to, you have to make best use of that stuff. Just, just activating the chemical energy, the dedication, isn't going to be enough. You actually have to make use of the kinetic energy. So these are two, really, these two things. These are your starting points. You need dedication and leadership. If the candidate is not a good leader, let's say the candidate's a very inspired person, um, but uh, inspired themselves and dedicated, and you can see they burn with passion, but they themselves aren't that inspiring, just maybe because of their personality, right? And this is a fixed thing. You can, you can train people to be more inspiring a little bit, but you just like charisma is kind of a given thing. Let's say you don't have that sort of leadership um, in your candidate, which is somewhat common, especially at the state level. You know, uh, the, there are people who just don't have that kind of magnetic, inspiring personality. Um, it's going to be necessary to, in order to be able to move down the, the, the list here and, and grow your energy as effectively as possible, to have leadership from somewhere. Um, a campaign manager who has that leadership skill is going to be really important. And uh, this is where a lot of people who get started in politics, their first campaign manager, and it might be their only one, but their first campaign manager is a true believer who actually themselves has leadership uh, qualities that the candidate doesn't. And it could be a person who actually, you might say, well, why doesn't that person run? Well, maybe they don't want to. Maybe they don't want to be out in front of the cameras, right? You could be a super inspiring person, right? You could be somebody who could give the great halftime speech to the troops, to the troops, to the team, to get them to go out there and overcome the four touchdown deficit and win the, win the game. Um, but uh, you don't necessarily want to be the quarterback, right? Or you don't necessarily want to be out there in front. I'm starting to mix my metaphors, I apologize. But I think you get the point. Um, there has to be somebody initially with leadership. Um, and uh, to the, at the point at which you can hire somebody, uh, that's one of the things to look for. So if, if you're a candidate and you don't have a team yet, right? You're dedicated to your cause, you know you want to run, and you know you feel like you can make a difference, and you feel like it's your calling to go make a difference, but you understand, you look in the mirror and you say, yeah, you're just like, you're not the kind of person that's, you're not that super organized, you're not that super inspiring or charismatic, but maybe, and hopefully, like, like oh, if there's somebody in your life who you can get to believe in you, and they do that, they have those traits, excellent. If you don't, then hopefully you have the ability to raise enough money initially, your startup cost for your campaign, so that you can go out and find uh, a campaign manager who actually brings this to your team. Uh, now, the next thing that you need is connections, because you don't grow your energy just by casting out a net and raking it in, casting out a net and raking it in. You don't grow your energy by spending money, right? Uh, you might have a ton of money and you can buy a good campaign manager and you can buy paid professionals who can run focus groups, but you don't have connections. And to a certain extent, you can buy connections, right? You can buy people who are connected. You can, you can get uh, a campaign manager who has a lot of connections, who, who has 
um, you know, grassroots experience and who, ha who knows people who know people who know people. But the point is, is that you actually need a starting point because what connections do, and I'm actually going to write this up here, I'm gonna change the board a little bit, there's the network effect. Connections are nonlinear in their growth, right? If you have somebody who has five people that they can connect up with and either say, let's say those five people are willing to give five hours a week, right? If you have one person who can bring in five people who are able to give five hours a week, those five people could use some of those five hours to each of them get five more people, right? And they tell two friends, and they tell two friends, and all that stuff that grows out, that's what the network effect is. Um, this is actually where the coronavirus metaphor kicks in, sort of in its opposite thing. Like We know that one of the things about coronavirus is it spreads through contact. Uh, and the more people are out there contacting each other, the more quickly the virus grows. And that's part of the problem, is that there's an exponential growth that can happen if social distancing uh, um, and other mitigating uh, um, techniques are not put into place. Campaigns are the opposite. You want your campaign to get viral. You want to grow exponentially. Um, now, that will, much like the exponential growth of a virus, will put a stress on uh, healthcare resources and on economic resources. Um, if you have viral growth in your connections, uh, that could put a stress on your campaign, right? If you go from having a dedicated group of four people to suddenly having 100 volunteers, uh, and you don't have a campaign headquarters, you don't have the uh, physical resources to make use of them. Um, in this case, it's not gonna make people sick and die, it's just gonna, actually what's gonna happen is you're gonna dissipate that, and you're gonna, you're gonna lose that. So what you also need to make the network effect as you're, as you're hopefully exponential, or at least above linear growth, or even just linear growth is good, right, in, in a campaign, if you can start with, Four dedicated people, and by uh, two weeks from now, you have eight dedicated people, and then you have uh, 12 dedicated people. That's just plain old linear, linear growth. Any form of growth is good. But if you make good use of it, if you have good leadership, the connections are going to turn into a network effect that is going to, to lead to something like exponential growth. But you have to be able to make use of that. Or if you have a hundred, you know, two weeks in, you have a hundred people, but you don't have a headquarters and you can't fit them all in your living room and you don't have uh, any kinds of uh, literature to give them to pass out or buttons or t-shirts or anything. If you don't have any of that, uh, and if you don't even have somebody like running a database of who your volunteers are and their phone numbers and their email addresses, you're gonna squander all of that stuff. Uh, so you need to have a strategy for making effective use and uh, of, of that and that part of that strategy is going to connect with efficiency because you then also need um, organization like strategy being like what are these people going to do let's get each of these people to look in their phone and uh, find the people who are in the voting district of your candidate or if it's a statewide ballot measure just anybody who's in who, who, who's in the state of Oregon and um, let's get them to compile those together in a list and then have that person call all of those people and say what they want from them, right? And this is, I'm, gonna, I'm already jumping ahead to messaging because you have to tell people what you want from them. So these, these three things actually, I've broken them out into separate factors, but they really all work together. You need a strategy. What are you gonna do with the connections that you make? And uh, also, like, you're making connections. So you start off with people who are, let's, you know, let's just say that, that we're starting off with four dedicated middle-class white people in Portland. 
and you're running for a city council seat. Um, you're still mostly going to be speaking to uh, white voters, but you want to have your coalition, you want to build your coalition to include all kinds of different groups in uh, Portland. And even for a lot of white voters, if you don't have some people of color in your coalition, they're going to look at you and be like, oh, you're just, you're just the dumb white candidate, right? Um, <clears throat> you know, what, what are you going to, how, why would I vote for you? So a lot of voters in Portland are going to, liberal voters are going to look at somebody and, and see the size of their coalition. So part of what you want when you, uh, is with your connections, you want to just take advantage of the network effect. You want to have exponential growth. But you want to have a strategy where you're, where you're actually trying to take advantage of the network effect in intended particular kinds of ways, right? Who comes into the team that can actually speak to the Latinx community? Who comes into the team that can actually speak to people in East Portland who are economically vulnerable? Who, who, who's coming onto the team that uh, has uh, connections that are going to enable, you know, uh, say like an endorsement from the teachers union? Um, this is where you need a strategy and then you need to, efficiency is organization of your information. This is where you'll hear the word from a lot of people in campaigns, spreadsheet. There are spreadsheets and like if, if, if the idea of a spreadsheet makes you just like, oh, gives you, uh, then, then hopefully if you're going to be involved in campaign, you'll find a different place uh, to be there. And part of efficiency is making the best use of people. You, you'll hear this throughout all of the guest lectures for this class is that putting the right people into the right places uh, so that you actually make the best use of those, of those folks. And if there are people who love spreadsheets, you need to get them on spreadsheets. You need to get them on tracking connections and on building that email list and on building that, uh, that phone list so that your database, or so, so that your phone bank people, your volunteers are gonna come in and uh, make phone calls for three hours a week are going to actually have phone numbers in front of them instead of sitting around going, okay, Bob, where's the phone numbers that I'm supposed to call? I'm here to call, right? I don't know why Bob. Um, but uh, you, you absolutely, the, these things, strategy and efficiency, connect together. Uh, organization, tracking information, and uh, knowing where to put people that make the best use of them, that's efficiency, and also knowing how to take advantage of your connections to, to, to their most effective way so you can build your best coalition. The word coalition is another word you're going to hear a lot, and that word tends to be uh, used and, and thought of in terms of advocacy and building social movements and uh, building uh, community movements for success, but a, an electoral coalition is super important. If you're talking about a ballot measure, it's absolutely important, but even when you're talking about a candidate, um, a coalition of supporters, right? If you're a middle-class white person running for city council, um, and you can put together a coalition of people who come from all over the city, East Portland, St. John's, the West Hills, Northeast, and you can put together a coalition of people that actually are a diverse set of people, right? Economically diverse, racially diverse, diverse in terms of their professions. Uh, they themselves will then be able to speak to groups that you're not necessarily speaking to. So part of making connections, like you can have, let's say you have a thousand people who are either working for and volunteering for your campaign or at least just supportive of you in there and out there mentioning uh, your name and saying, hey, yeah, I'm going to vote for this candidate. Yeah, I think you should too. Like I, 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 saw, I saw a quick YouTube video and I think she's amazing. Uh, but all of those people are middle class white people. Then you're, you may be reaching the same potential voters multiple times and wasting uh, the energy because if somebody gets reached once and like, oh yeah, hey, Canada X, awesome, yeah, you know, my, my friend Jack, who I trust his, his judgment, is totally down with Canada X, 
I'm, I'm vote for candidate X. And then that person gets reached three, four more times by somebody with a similar profile as me, then you've, you've won, uh, won one vote five times. And you know, in the old days, that was good because then that person would vote five times. When I say the old days, I mean the 19th century, and it's kind of a joke anyway. Um, vote early, vote often. But like, if you reach a voter five times who's persuaded on the first time, that's a waste. Now, if you reach a voter five times, and it took five times to get them to go from no, from don't even know who this is to, well, yeah, maybe to yes, then you need that. But you're also, it's, it, the, the more different voters you can reach, the more efficiently you're gonna make use of all of the connections that you're developing. And this is where, this is where information tracking is really important. You don't wanna have uh, your phone bank calling the same people time and time again, so you need uh, good tracking of those connections. You want to make sure that the people who are reaching out to the folks in your, in, in your list are actually the right ones to be conveying that message. So, last uh, factor in growing your energy is messaging. Um, and this is really, really important. And this is not even about swaying people. Um, it could be about swaying them. And of course, if you take people who are either your opponents and turn them into supporters, fantastic. If you take people who are apathetic or on the fence or didn't even know about you and turn them into supporters, fantastic. Um, what messaging is really primarily, when we're talking about grassroots energy, aimed at is it's actually aimed at inspiring the people who are, who are on your side already and who will um, therefore be the most energetic on your behalf, right? This is all about chemical energy. Okay. Once you've done all this stuff, once you uh, have started to make connections, you have a strategy for who to reach, you have uh, an efficient use and tracking of all of, of all of your people resources, you get people on the phone. You get people at, your, at, at, at all these front doors. You get people at, um, uh, at a candidate rally uh, or a house party for fundraising. Uh, and fundraising like, is, not, is not just an opportunity to raise money, it's an opportunity also to grow your grassroots energy. Right? If you get 50 people at a house party and each of them gives you $20, right? you raise $1,000 and that's great, but if those 50 people themselves talk about your, your candidacy, each of them talks about your candidacy to 10 other people and they talk about it in a way that one is consistent so that you're getting all of those connections are being done as part of your strategy and two are talking about it in an effective way you could end up raising $1,000 by meeting 50 people and they each give you $20, but you could end up with 50 times 10, you could end up with 500 new uh, supporters who possibly each of them will give you $20, but maybe if they don't, some of those people will give you a few hours of their time to phone bank, some of those people will just uh, like, you know, give you a couple hours, but also they'll call all their connections so that those people will turn into 50 phone calls, of which maybe five are people who will be supporters of yours. Um, but with the network effect, the more that happens, the more support you're going to get. So the, you want to turn your connections into inspiration. You want to message in a way that when you reach people, it actually is effective. Like I said, back when I was talking about chemical energy in the first place, the example that I gave was somebody going to a door, and if that person is inspired, they're much more likely to inspire the person who they're handing the uh, mailer to, the flyer, to actually read it and pay attention to it. Um, and also, if that person 
has a good message, if the words they say, if, they're, if, if they vibrate with commitment and energy, that's going to be really useful. But also, if the words they say are going to get into the ears and brain of the person that's receiving this uh, in a way that's going to, that's going to speak to them, uh, like, you know, do you, you know, you, you, you probably uh, really worry, like, or do you, hey, do you worry about um, the quality of your kids' schools? Right? And you say that because you know that this is a family, this is a household, this is where information and this is where money helps because if we can know where, who, demographically what these people are. But if you say, you know, you worry about finding for your schools, um, the person's like, yeah, and, and then that person at the door has their three bullet points that they've said to all these other people and they're super comfortable saying it because it's been rehearsed, it's also been well sculpted to be bullet points instead of like droning on and on. Um, you have however many seconds at that door to actually get that person to, once they close the door, to go, huh, okay, and look at your flyer. The longer they hold that flyer and look at the name of your candidate and maybe flip it over and look at, look at the issues they stand for before they put it in the recycling bin. Um, or if, they, if, if you've messaged them successfully enough that they actually just take a magnet and put it on their fridge, they're like, yeah, I don't want to forget this candidate when it comes time to vote. That is how you're going to succeed. Um, so uh, messaging, I've talked about messaging uh, when I did the overview of a campaign as something that's part of kind of the, the air game, the, the, the strategy to persuade voters. And it absolutely is that. But messaging is also super important in the grassroots level because what successful messaging does is it converts more potential energy into kinetic energy via chemical energy. Right? The kinetic energy for a voter is that they just actually go vote for you, right? Like they physically just fill the, the, the bubble in your name. And especially in down-ballot races, you need that kinetic energy. You need people to not skip over that race, or you need people to flip the ballot over and go, oh yeah, that's right, I, uh, uh, state legislature, or port commissioner, position three, like, oh yeah, Miller, I'm going to fill that name in. Um, the, uh, you, you need that physical activity of filling in the bubble to get the most votes. Um, and if... The messaging is connected to chemical energy. In fact, that, that is, messaging is chemical energy. These are potential energy, these are potential into kinetic energy, and this is chemical energy. And it is really important, this kind of chemistry in a campaign, excitement, inspiration, clarity, right? It's like, oh, if I vote for this person, I know what they're going to do, or I know what they're going to try to do. Um, and I can tell, and this is a, usually this is a very unconscious uh, um, response, I can tell from that young person who came to the door who was excited and articulate that the person that they're out here canvassing for is a really good person. Um, I don't know that person and I'll never meet this candidate probably, or maybe I will, maybe I'll be like, hey, you know, I really, I wanna, I'm gonna meet this person, I wanna go on their website, see when the next house party is, see when the next public forum is, um, uh, maybe myself volunteer, but like, I could just easily never meet that candidate, but I met them in proxy with that person at the door who was both excited and articulate and provided me with clarity about that. And that's gonna get my vote, right? And that kind of behavior, uh, that psychological mechanism that turns a face-to-face -face connection into a vote is crucial. And when we're looking at down-ballot races, you know, in some of these races, some of them are big, right? City council race is pretty big. Even port commission is pretty big. Uh, but if we're talking about uh, a legislative seat, if we're talking about port commission, uh, if we're talking about school board, 
and, and it depends. Like here in Portland, there's still going to be a lot of people. But if we're talking about school board in a mid-sized uh, American city, right? If we're talking about school board in uh, Gresham uh, or school board uh, in uh, uh, Hood River, it's you're talking about like a few dozen or a hundred or so votes could make the difference between success and failure. And you can get that few dozen, you can get that hundred or, or, or several hundred votes purely out of a good set of excited, articulate, clear, face-to-face -face interactions. You can, but in order to be able to get that message, like the me messaging is at the bottom of this list, because messaging is what happens when you do all of the rest of this stuff. You reach as many different people as possible. You get as many doors knocked, you get as many flyers in people's mailboxes, you get as many social media posts. There's all kinds of ways to get those messages, though I'm not talking about social media posts right now. Uh, but the end of the line is that connection with individual voters. You win elections, especially down ballot, by winning one voter at a time. Now, hopefully, you're winning one voter at a time really quickly, right? Because time is of essence. If you're winning one voter at a time per day, you're in trouble, right? Part of the reason, and not part of the reason, the reason why connections are so important is because you want to be reaching one voter at a time uh, in a thousand different uh, avenues and at a much faster clip. And the more people you have out on the streets, the more people you have to organize events, uh, the, the more uh, people you have to, to make phone calls, the more you're going to be able to win one voter at a time a thousand times a day instead of 10 times a day or only 50 times a day. Uh, that is really what is going to make for success in a campaign. It takes a lot, right? And I'm going I'm to go back to uh, efficiency as one of the things. Like This is one thing I hear from a, a lot of people. Dedication is actually relatively easy to get, especially this is where young people, youthful energy kicks in. Dedication is really, you know, like I can't, won't say you can, you can earn that easily. You have to be a person, a candidate or a ballot measure that actually is, uh, in, you know, capable of inspiring that dedication. But dedication is, you know, one of the easier things to, to make, to, to generate. Efficient use of the, that excitement, efficient use of the personal skills that each individual brings in, efficient use of the information that comes with them, their contact uh, uh, list, uh, their sets of connections, the organizations and other community leaders that those people can talk to, right? That efficient use is extremely important. Grassroots organizing is, it's about energy, right? And I put it under the energy category, right? But uh, making use of the, or maximizing that energy, getting as much out of it as you can, there's a lot of mundane aspects to that, which is tracking information, making sure that the people that you have who are excited are you're making the best use of their skills and talents, that they're uh, interacting uh, with each other in the best possible ways, that the people, who's, the people who are good with spreadsheets are on spreadsheets and tracking, the people who are good at talking to other people are on the phones, are knocking doors, um, and, and this is where leadership comes in as well, being able to take what people have in their potential and turning it into kinetic and chemical, right? You have somebody, a young person who is just like, yeah, you're the environmental candidate. I'm all about the environment. Like, I just, I, we need more people like you in office. They come into your, your organization um, and they, like, you might not be able to make good use of that person. In fact, they might be a distraction. All they do is talk to everybody else about how much they love the environment, how much they love the environment, and they actually 
take other people's time. They might volunteer 10 or 15 hours a week, um, but they spend 12 of that 15 hours actually taking up time of uh, people around them and being distracting or, or just like, yeah, we're all so excited, right? You have to, as a leader, you have to be able to corral that and transform it. And also, you have to be able to make sure it's sustainable. You, wanna, you have to be able to be uh, an emotional as well as a psychological leader. You have to be able to take people and point them in the right direction, find out what their best talents are, make use of that, um, but also make sure that they're able to uh, sustain their excitement and not get burned out and not hurt themselves and eat and rest and do yoga and meditate and whatever all the other things are, and this is something you'll hear in the guest lectures, um, <clears throat> is, that's, that is that's both leadership and efficiency. But it, you know, even if you know what, you're, what, what you need to do in terms of how to organize your, your different uh, forces that have come to you, you still need the leadership capacities to be able to uh, to do that, to inspire people, to train them up, to connect with them, to actually, you know, dedicate the five minutes it takes looking in their eyes to then make the next two hours of their day that much more useful, right? You don't need to spend a half an hour to make the next two hours more useful, but if you yourself have the leadership skills to be able to turn five minutes of interacting with a super excited, raw volunteer who could actually be distracting to other people as opposed to productive for the campaign, uh, if you can take five minutes to turn that person from a distraction into a powerhouse, then uh, in any type of grassroots organizing, whether it's issue advocacy or campaigning, you're going to have a higher level of success. Uh, all right, well, I could give more examples uh, of how all of these things play out in campaigns, but I think that at this point you probably get the basic idea, and this is where uh, listening to the guest lectures will uh, kick in because you'll hear different stories and, and real-world examples uh, from people. All of my examples are drawn from talking to people who, who've done this, um, <clears throat> and also just from my own experience of you know, running into people at the door and, and, and uh, interacting with, with campaign organizations, as well as other kinds of uh, organizations. Uh, there are uh, nothing but examples out there, but I think that the point has been made. And so I'm going to wrap up the lecture today, and I'm going to say, uh, actually, today's Easter. I'm recording this on Easter Sunday. I don't know if you celebrate Easter. I do not celebrate Easter. Uh, it's just one of the free candy holidays in my book, and obviously I'm not a, I shouldn't say obviously, but I'm not a religious person, so Easter doesn't move me at all. But if you celebrate Easter, I hope that you're having a happy Easter, uh, or had a happy Easter. Uh, and if you're not celebrating Easter, I hope you're having an amazing, uh, amazing Sunday. I'm looking out the window right now. It's sunny. I'm going to uh, pause the, uh, the camera, and I'm going to try to get out there and enjoy my Sunday with my family. All right, have a great week. Uh, guest lectures after, uh, for the rest of this week. We have two guest lectures this week, um, and they're, they're both relatively short. And then, uh, yeah, we're just moving forward. All right, thanks, everybody.